When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. You're listening to the Chicago Audible Podcast, changing up the way Bears fans stay up to date on their favorite team since 2015. Now get ready. Because it's time to bear down. Welcome back, Bears fans, to another episode of the Chicago Audible, and welcome to our Bears-Vikings postgame show, as the Bears just, well, they barely beat the second-team Minnesota Vikings team by the final score of 21-19, finishing the year in 8-8, so I guess technically we can't call the 2019 season a losing season, but I think we can at least all agree that it wasn't a season that we wanted to have here in Chicago. Now I'm your host, Will DeWitt. I'm joined by two co-hosts today. I'm Nicholas Moriano, and Will Ingles is on the phone. Nick, do you want to sum up the 2019 season in one word? Uh, that's tough to do. I would uneventful. Uh, I mean, I think that's that would be a good word to describe it. Watching this game, Will, it was just again we talked about it. We knew going into this one, it wasn't going to be anything that we could take away positively from it. I mean, mostly, but I think uneventful for the most part, eight and eight, a mediocre football team that just did not live up to expectations. Ooh, I like mediocre for maybe a one word answer to some of the season. How about you, Will? You had some time to think about it. Summarize 2019 in one word. Brutal. Uh, it seems like this happens so many times with the Bears that they have uh, everything set before them to be successful and kind of like start a run or a successful, you know, tenure or even an era and you know, you just come back to this season after, you know, a very successful 2018, and you just have to watch it all far, fall apart right in front of your face. So brutal would kind of be my explanation, watching through 17 weeks, everything that we thought could be possible uh, just fall apart right in front of our eyes. Yeah, that's a great one as well. If you're here on the live show, definitely put your one-word answer in the chat. If you're watching the replay, definitely throw it in the comments as well. But, guys, we have a Bears game to 
talk about. My notes are pretty blank just because, again, like you said, Nick, and we talked about in the preview show, it's really hard to evaluate a football team yet again when they're playing an entire uh, Vikings team that was playing mostly their backups for this game. But we're going to try our best and talk about this one here. So entering the first quarter of our post-game show, let's go ahead and begin with my monster moment of the game. And my monster moment's actually going to come with only 2 minutes and 36 seconds left in this game. That was the fourth and ninth throw from Mitch Trubisky over to Riley Ridley for 32 yards, which set up the Bears inside the red zone. I think that was their sixth red zone trip in this game. And, of course, a few plays later and a couple of burn timeouts by Minnesota, Eddie Pinero is able to put that ball through the uprights for a second game winner of the season. And, of course, that was the deciding factor. And that throw by Mitch to keep that drive alive on a fourth and nine, I mean, he couldn't have gotten a more open receiver to hit, but at least he was able to do so. And Riley Ridley, the rookie, who hasn't had a lot of playing time this season, to come in clutch on a very crucial down because the Bears only had that one timeout, so the game would have been over. To me, that's why it's going to be my monster moment of the game. So, Nick... I'm going to hand it off to you. What's going to be your final Moriano minute of 2019? You know, uh, for this one, just looking at this game as a whole, I mean, I thought this would be a game where you saw Matt Nagy just take a lot of chances, maybe throw some deeper deeper route concepts down into the, you know, the scheme for today's game, especially when you have a Vikings team that's not playing most of their starters. But we saw more of the same, just a lot of the short passes. Mitch Trubisky threw for 37 times, but a lot of those were just short, the short passing game. Um, so basically for this one, I'm just kind of complaining that there wasn't anything that Matt Nagy was willing to try. I think you saw a little bit more 21 personnel, both running backs on the field and in the backfield at times, which I think was a, uh, you know, something that we haven't seen a lot of this season, which was nice, but I just wanted to see Matt Nagy just do a little bit more with his last opportunity, his last game of the 2019 season, but yet he's still stuck to what he's been doing all season. A lot of the shorter routes, nothing very eventful going on downfield. So, yeah, a bunch of what we were accustomed to seeing in the 2019 season. Yeah, I'm going to skip Will just for just a moment because my stat of the game is actually that yards per pass. Does a robot know you like a neighbor? Insurance Corporation will fulfill requests to cover anyone, anything, anytime, anywhere, with most standard algorithm. In the order it was received, please hold. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting the insurance coverage you need always starts with a conversation. Find a Farm Bureau agent at fbfs.com protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. Because like you said, you're hoping to see some more downfield shots today. Mitch finished the game with a 4.4 yards per pass. And before that big 32-yarder and that final drive, it was at 3.8 yards per pass. And Mannion from Minnesota finished the game at a 6 yards per pass pop. So the fact that a backup making his second career start in five years versus this Bears defense playing with backup receivers, a backup offensive line, Versus Mitch, who's going up against a backup Minnesota team, and he's only averaging 4.4 yards per pass, which a ton of screen passes, of course, we're bringing that down. I'm sure we'll talk about those here in the second quarter of the show. Uh, to me, that's just my stat of the game, just to sh- prove how short and dinking and dunking, there's very few opportunities for Mitch to throw that ball down the field, and I can look at you know red zone and the Bears struggles down there, but I feel like that's been a big answer all year long, or at least a big one for the state of the game. So I wanted to find something a little bit different, but still 4.4 yards per pass against a backup Minnesota Vikings defense uh, leaves a lot to be desired to say the least. 
But Will, I want to go over to you. What's going to be your midway mulligan? So a moment of this game that you would like to, you know, have a redo on. Um, I guess there's there's a couple. I, I really kind of want to start with that first offensive play uh, with Mike Boone just ripping off uh, nearly a 70-yard chunk of yardage. That one kind of doesn't come back to matter at the end mm-hmm. because uh, the very next play is the fumble. Um, but, I mean, that just kind of set the tone. as just like, huh, geez, there, there was a wide disparity as far as effort in this game. And, you know, as far as a team that wants to talk about having good leadership and good veteran, uh, good veterans leading the way, you know, I, did, I thought that was – a very telling moment that half the team was checked in for this game and half the team was not. Uh, but I think I, I want to have that as my midway mulligan, but that effort is just kind of like brought throughout the game. So I guess the one that I'm brought back to is uh, the injury to Cordell Patterson. Hopefully it's a very minor concussion, but any concussion is a serious one. Uh, myself playing in football for as many years as I have, you know, that's, it's nothing you take lightly. You know, I know Cordell Patterson, you know, isn't exactly a long-term contract, but He's a guy that can have a lot of value to this football team. And, you know, you hate to see a guy get hurt in the last game of the season. It seems like Anthony Miller's injury was a little less serious. You know, you just see a concussion and there's just some immediate, you know, caution and worry with it. So I guess that's the one I take back in a meaningless week 17 game. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime a playmaker like Patterson goes down to injury, like you said, a concussion too. Uh, that's definitely something you don't want to have happen here in a meaningless football game. But let's go ahead and let's talk some MVBs here. Nick, you and I both predicted David Montgomery was going to be our MVB. You finished today with 23 carries, 113 yards, 4.9 yards per pop, and of course that one touchdown. And he had 57 of his yards came on that lone touchdown drive of the game. Is he your MVB? You know what? I would have said he would have been my MVP, but I had to give it to Eddie Pinheiro, actually. Making 4-4 four four from his field goals, scoring, what, 12 of those points that the Bears obviously could not finish on when they went down in the, the red zone early on in this game off turnovers. But, yeah, I think Eddie Pinheiro just... You know, having the opportunities that he had, a game winner like he did, obviously with the Bears kicking situation, nothing's guaranteed, especially with Pinheiro as well. But, yeah, it would have been – David Montgomery's definitely my, my second front runner, but I actually give it to Eddie Pinheiro for this one. Four for four for his field goals today. You know, I like that. I like that a lot. I think a lot of those were – Chip shots, to say the least. Uh, you know, nothing really extravagantly long on those. I think his what his longest of the day, if I can scroll down quick enough in this box score, thirty four, thirty four. So, I mean, I'm glad that he was consistent. I'm glad he made those. You know, we're talking about a win here instead, but really good one there. I'm going for David Montgomery. He was someone that they leaned on to start off that second half. A big reason why they're able to get that touchdown here in the game. Obviously. Uh, he didn't have tremendous help from the offensive line for the vast majority of this game. But to have him uh, go over the century mark for the second time this season uh, here in the you know 2019 finale, uh, for me, uh, and seeing what he's able to do in terms of carrying the rock and breaking tackles, and you know it seems like he was able to play some heads-up football today. That's a big reason why he's my MVP. And, of course, since we predicted it, Nick, I thought that would be an easy one. But you went another direction. Let's go over to Mr. Ingles. Who's going to be your MVP choice? Oh, you're going to be shocked about this one. I'm giving it to the man that I have uh, I have talked bad things about for a long time, uh, Nick Kwiatkowski, a fantastic stretch down the year, and another game of just superb play for the most part. Uh, I think that the Bears have a very difficult decision to make between him and Danny Trevathan. I think it's going to be very hard to uh, to choose between the two, and it's going to be very hard to keep both. I just don't see that being likely, uh, but – 
man, uh, Kwiatkowski has made a very difficult conversation for Ryan Pace in that Bears front office coming this offseason. Uh, he's my MVP for the game. Obviously, that big safety he had, he had a few other tackles for loss. Uh, just playing fast, playing downhill, and he's really kind of adopted his identity and gotten a little bit better in pass coverage as well. I really, I talked about some veterans not really having that effort uh, apparent in this game. Uh, Nick Kwiatkowski was not one of them. His, uh, his heart was on that football field from the first play, and you could tell. So he's my MVP. All right, great stuff there from you, Mr. Ingles. Up next, we're going to enter the second quarter of our postgame show and tell you a little bit about that Bears offense and everything you know that they were and were not able to do today. But first, I do need to call a quick timeout to talk to you about our show sponsor, SeatGeek. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It's as if they're so big they can just get away with not caring about the customer experience. With millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there is a better way. In an industry that tends to be stagnant, SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. So why is SeatGeek better than the rest? Well, if you just look at the app store, you'll see over 50,000 five-star reviews. Now, how's that for customer satisfaction? SeatGeek breaks down the details. The green dots are the good deals, and the red dots are tickets that are just, well, simply overpriced. And every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Of course, everyone here at the Chicago Audible has the SeatGeek apps on our phones. It's been the premier resource that we've been able to use to uh, purchase tickets over the last two seasons. I know Nick and I used it for our tickets to the Chiefs game. I know Mr. Ringles here on the show used SeatGeek as well for his tickets as he joined us down there for that game. So if you're looking to go to you know any event here over the next year, I know the Bears season's over, but if you're in town, you know of course the Bulls are going, the Blackhawks are going as well, and of course any concert you're looking for, SeatGeek has the tickets. It's definitely easy to use, so check out the app. And of course, you can get $10 off your first purchase. And all you need to do is use our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today and download our promo code. We'll use our promo code BEARS for $10 off your first purchase. That promo code again is BEARS, B-E-A-R-S. And that unlocks you $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek. All right, welcome back. You're listening to Chicago Audible. I'm your host, Old Witt. Sitting here with me is Nicholas Moriano and, my, and Will Ingles as well. It's time to get into the second quarter and talk about this Bears offense that, you know, primarily was able to move the ball, not maybe as efficiently as we would like or, you know, as clean, but they were able to move down that ball there in the red zone, like I said, five times a day, uh, but only able to put it in the end zone once. Nick, what was happening with this offense today once it hit the end of the red zone? It just seemed like they would hit that wall. We've seen it all year. But what was happening in the red zone that kind of was uh, forcing us to settle for field goals? Well, at times it would either be like the offensive lines just forgetting to block the man in front of them, or the Bears would, I think, not get cute with play calls, but there's just, uh, I remember one of the plays just being one of the screen passes that, like all the other screens, just did not work throughout the game. So that's just been an area of struggle that the Bears have not been successful in all season. Well, I mean, once they get to the red zone, if they are able to sustain a drive throughout any game, it's just the red zone was an area of where, the Bears just didn't know how to punch it in, but uh, it was nice seeing David Montgomery carry a couple of guys again to for that only touchdown of the day for the Bears and you know some of the offensive line behind them. But for the most part, I would have to put it more so on the offensive line, just not doing their job um, to allow, I guess, Trubisky to survey the field. But even if he did, there was no guarantee that he was completing a pass either way. But I would have to give it to the offensive line for being not even just a problem in the red zone, but throughout the entirety of the offense. Even though David Montgomery mm-hmm. had his, you know, his 100-yard game, 
there were still way too many times where there were negative plays happening. I think you tweeted during the game that there was a certain amount of negative plays the Bears had. Well, it's a credit to the offensive line for that because David Montgomery's getting the hand, getting the ball, and there's a defender right there. So it's just this is something that's constantly been happening with this Bears offensive line, and it doesn't make any sense that again Ted Larson started the game. We saw Alex Bars maybe a couple of plays. And that was it. It just doesn't make sense for the last game of the season to kind of approach it that way. Yeah, the Bears had five negative plays in the first half of this game. Offensive line play obviously was not on point in this one. Will, were you as surprised as at least I was that the Bears did struggle as much as they did in the red zone against a backup defense? Well, they've struggled in the red zone not only this year but last year. I mean, that was a big conversation we had is that they struggled to to get points on the board, uh, especially you know from touchdowns by their offense. Uh, you know, it was, it was almost disturbing that. Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. The, the defense could score more from the red zone than the offense did at times last season. So am I surprised? Not exactly. Uh, it, and to Nick's point early on in the show, it's not like Nagy changed a whole lot as far as downfield kind of work especially when you get to that 20-yard line between the, you know, the 10 and the 20, when you still have a little bit of depth to work with. Uh, there was, they weren't trying to exercise that at all. Uh, so, no, I'm not really that surprised. Uh, it's, it's still frustrating to watch, absolutely, but surprised, no, absolutely not. Yeah, and you got to think, a- too, Will, before, like, the Bears last season in 2018, when they were trying to actually score, a lot of it was with that creative play calling. Let's bring in the defense, the defensive guy, Santa Slay. That's how the Bears, and not saying that they got all their touchdowns that way, but they had to use creative, unorthodox ways to actually get into the end zone. Take that away, and the Bears really haven't done much of that any in 2019. And look, the production, there is really no production from this offense. So there's still a lot of question marks as to the play calling, the just whatever the, the route schemes that are being run in, in, in the red zone. A lot of question marks when it comes to the red zone play calling, for sure. And to go off of that, you think about 2018, the most successful games, a lot of those touchdowns were coming from 30, 40 yards out, which uh, is referred to as the green zone in a lot of, uh, in a lot of programs. So, you know, a lot of red zone work, very suspect at best uh, for uh, Coach Matt Nagy so far in his career. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're looking at just how bad the Bears have struggled putting up points, uh, well, one bit of good news first. They had their first first quarter lead since week four, which is the last time we played the Vikings. Uh, but they finished the year with only 2.3 points on average in the first quarter, which is last in the NFL. And they also finished the first half this game without a touchdown for the 11th time this year. So 11 out of 16 games, the Bears failed to score a touchdown in the first half of the entire football game, which is just ridiculous as Nick puts back in his, uh, oh, he had one in the whole time, so you can still hear me. I was gonna. I was listening the entire uh-huh. time. I was, you uh-huh. know, I was just choking over here. But nice. you know, I've been there. <laughs> now, of course, let's look at this game. I do want to talk about some positions here. Let's go ahead and talk with Mitch. Obviously, he wasn't able, like I mentioned, to push that ball down the field. He's still leaving more to be desired. And obviously, he's someone who Nick, you and I said in the pregame show. 
even if he had a great game against a backup defense, he couldn't take a lot of stock in it. But he didn't even put up uh, great numbers against them. He was 26 of 37 for 179 yards. Anything you take from this game? I think you just find out he's average. I wouldn't even say that, Will. I, watching this game from Trubisky and knowing that he loves to throw to Allen Robinson, we, we knew that all season, but I get no sense of confidence going into 2020 with him being the quarterback. I, I mean, I wasn't going to get anything from this game anyway because they're playing against backups. This is not the Vikings defense that you normally would see. and He, he didn't play that defense because he played, what, six snaps in the first game. But in this one, you saw some errant throws. You saw some he got sacked four times. I have to go back and rewatch just uh, just to see if like if any of them are really on him. But for the most part, again, it's it's the Trubisky that we've seen all season. He's not going to put up crazy numbers. And this was actually this I thought would be an opportunity for him to actually put up some better numbers because again, he's not playing a good defense. He's playing backups. And from what we've seen with Trubisky, he actually puts up good numbers against bad defenses. And I would consider this Vikings defense to be kind on that level because they don't have their starters in the game, but no, he couldn't really complete those passes, but there weren't to credit to, um, they're not credits, but just for in Trubisky's favor, there weren't really any of those deeper passes being called. Again, is that because Nagy doesn't trust Trubisky? It's like the chicken or the egg thing. Who knows? But this game doesn't give me any confidence for the 2020 Mitch Trubisky being the quarterback. It's Man, sad when average it feels Ridley. like it's a average feels like for Trubisky, you know, a compliment like that. It's like, oh, great. And then it's <laughs> if he's barely reaching that. But sorry to step on your toes, Will. What do you got? No, I was stepping on yourselves probably in that case. But, you know, outside of that throw to Ridley, every single ball he threw downfield was one of those that you just scratch your head and wonder, who the heck was that to? I mean, mm-hmm. I remember talking to you, Nick, at the end of that Bears-Chiefs game. It's like, who is this on? Like, there has to be, like, an answer. Like, whose shoulders does this fall on? And walking out of that game, I'm like, that's a 70-30 split on Trubisky between him and Nagy, in my opinion. Obviously, the offensive line shares some blame there, too. But you, you look at those middle-of-the-field throws, and those are things you have to hit as a quarterback. You know, you see any, you know, player that you can even call a franchise quarterback, you're Russell Wilson, you know, even guys like Lamar Jackson. That's where their money's being made is over the middle because when you set up that play action, like David Montgomery, set up opportunities for play action. That's when you manipulate linebackers. That creates a big pocket in the middle of the field. If you're airmailing them 10 yards over the receiver's head, you're either getting picked or it's an incompletion that makes a coach unable to trust you running those types of routes. So for me, no, Trubisky wasn't average. I thought he was quite poor, if you ask me, overall. You know, he looked lethargic in some of his movements. He was careless with the ball. The only reason he gets double strip sacked is that, especially the second one that counts, is this because he has his one hand on the ball and he has it way outside of his frame. For what good reason? It's not because you're aiming to throw it down the field, so you got to wind up. We know that for sure, right? So it's carelessness. It's lack of execution. It's stuff that we've seen for too long now. You know, for me, you know, the final nails in the coffin, I'm ready to move on. You know what What made me the most mad just watching, like, Trubisky in this game? Look, this is not all in Trubisky, obviously, but that quarterback sneak, what the hell was that? It was like a very lethargic, let me stand up, and just kind of inch my way forward. There was no drive from him. And, yes, that's on the offensive line to actually create a push, but there was no effort. There was literally no effort from Trubisky trying to push forward just even an inch. That's all he literally needed to get the first down. Yet it just – I don't know. It's like one of the worst QB sneaks I've ever seen. It just just watching it live, I'm like, what What was that? Where's the push? Where's any effort from anybody? It wasn't there. 
Yeah, it looked like he just fell yeah, down and hoped for the best. Yeah. Yeah, a little lean forward. I texted one of my friends, that's the wimpiest QB sneak I've ever seen, and I didn't use the word wimpy, but it was <laughs> yeah. a family show. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So it seems like, I mean, Nick, I mean, you're spoken. We'll get into the offseason shows, but Will, I mean, I'm not even going to ask the question. Uh, I'm pretty sure I know it too, but in terms of your thoughts on Trubisky 2020, you can't have it, right? It's over. I <laughs> <laughs> see we need to get you some better internet so you can, we can see your face on this it would just make it a little bit better just saying yeah I'd be meme central over here that, that's what would happen <laughs> <laughs> alright so obviously we talked about David Montgomery a little bit in the opener as well but Tariq Cohen got uh, you know a handful of touches in this one but he wasn't finding much productivity as you know really at all Will what do you attribute that to besides the fact that he loves to run out of bounds uh, as soon as he touches that ball yeah, he has no understanding of concepts of blocking. It's butt to ball. That's something I was taught in middle school, you know? Like, how how on earth do you not understand how on a screen your guys aren't going to be turning people back in towards the line of scrimmage? That's driving them towards you. So there is no reasonable, like, quick screen or quick pitch that he's going to get that he should be taking it to the sideline. He has to decide if he wants to cut in between his two receivers blocking out to the sideline or whether he wants to cut it up before both of them. You can't go all the way outside. And his most effective runs today were when the sideline was so, like, clogged up with guys. He's like, I guess I can't go there. And then he cut it up, and he finally <laughs> got some positive yards. It's just like, oh, my goodness. Do you understand? Like, north and south is where you gain yards, man. And and it's just kind of like Trubisky. It's, it's kind of like to take that SpongeBob quote, how many times do we have to – teach you this lesson old man it's <laughs> absurd how how screen heavy this team is but yet they don't understand how screens are blocked and, mm-hmm. and the blockers sometimes don't understand how to block screens either but when they are set up like they're it's like the immediate like instinct is to run to the sideline and it's like no there is no screen pass which will have you do that like that it just boggles my mind how an nfl pro offense like whether it's the guy getting the pass, whether it's the guys blocking it, whether it's the dude throwing it, like Nick mentioned that this is the worst screen team I've ever, that he's ever seen. And I back him 100%. There is not a single thing that this team executes well with screens. And when Matt Nagy calls 70,000 screens a year, it's very hard to watch. Preach Anything well. you want to add, Preach. Nick? No, I mean, look, there was a lot of great things said there. And I wonder if that's almost, uh, kind of what this team embodies like these guys don't want to go into into the middle of the field where you know you're going to take a hit but that's where the yards are at you're not getting it on the outside towards the boundary that's where Tariq Cohen's been running really I would say he's like an entire his entire career here now with the Bears it's he just loves that sideline but I, I know a guy that would we haven't seen enough of him to David Montgomery on screen passes, but that's a guy who fights for every yard and guarantee if he gets one of those, he's most likely fighting upfield. But yeah, I tweeted out during the game this might be one of the worst teams. I should have just said this is the worst team at, when running the screens. I just didn't have any stats to back it up. But every single screen we've ever seen most likely has gone for negative yards or somehow, some way, God willing, it maybe gains two yards. There is not much yardage gained when they run screens, but yet Matt Nagy loves to run them. It could be because it's a very easy one read out of the, you know, balls out of the quarterback's hands. That could be the reason why it's very simple for Trubisky to run. But 
regardless, it's not, it doesn't work. And that that's just one of the many things the Bears need to go look into uh, this offseason to really fix because, as we all know, there's a lot of problems on this Bears offense. I guess I just was spoiled thinking of the days of like Matt Forte with Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall blocking in front of him. I mean, those used to work to perfection. Those are great. They were great. You had two big, physical, willing wide receivers, but not not to say that these Bears wide receivers can't do that. It's just I've seen it too many times to where even Allen Robinson, as crazy as as a wide receiver going and running routes, you see sometimes maybe maybe it's effort, maybe it's technique. Maybe it's just knowing that regardless if Tariq Cohen gets this, he's going to run to the sideline anyway. Could be a, a combination of things, but yeah, it just does. It hasn't worked in all season. No, not one bit. Uh, Nick, how about you? Do you have anything on the offense you want to talk about? Again, my notes are bare, and that's literal, just because of this game and how little stock you can take into it. So I'm really open to taking the conversation, you know, in any direction today. So the only thing I want to add about like this offense: why didn't Matt Nagy? move the pocket more in this game. It seemed like every single pass that Mitch was attempting was from within the pocket. I thought, hey, last game, why not play to his strengths, see what he can actually do. Let's see if he can complete a pass on the run. That fourth down pass to Riley Ridley. He escapes, he's on the run, out of the pocket, completes a pass. You just didn't see more of those you know, scheduled kind of plays. Like, we are moving the pocket, we're rolling you right, Trubisky, make the play, make the throw. You can't do it every single play, I know that, but there should have been more design, move the pocket plays, even play action plays. I don't know. That was just my big critique. And also, Riley really, I think, could have gotten more playing time in this one, especially Patterson's out, Anthony Miller's out. And then, again, we talked about it a little bit. Alex Barr should have seen more playing time. This is the last game of the season. Why not get these younger guys some playing time, see what you have in them? But yet he goes with the, you know, the veteran, Ted Larson, who I think did a pretty good job, but – you have an Alex Bars. See what he has in him. You have nothing to lose. Those are, again, my last critiques of this offense for the 2019 season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the laundry list can keep going on and on if we really wanted to you know, take a look at every nook and cranny inside of this offense. But, Will, I did see a question here in the chat about the future of Charles Leno Jr. I would be curious your thoughts on that. You know, to me, I, I think uh, his lows have been uh, – so uh, visible this year, you know, whether it was the start of the season where he had a lot of penalties and obviously uh, the strip sack was clearly allowed by him. Very bad play on his part, just got ran right past by a backup, you know, edge rusher, which is not a good look, especially when you have to run all the way around, you know, running behind the guy who's going to clobber your quarterback. And you're trying to run behind and get the ball and then you miss the ball. Like, Oh, that's the one on film. you love to go back and watch. I did that once when I had to play offensive tackle in high school Got to watch my best friend get clobbered, and then I, I tried to scoop up the ball, just completely whiffed. That's going to be one he'll enjoy going back to watch. But overall, like I understand people's frustration with Charles Leno. Very bad year for him. But I do think that overall, he is an, he's a, an average to above average starting left tackle. He did not show it this year. I don't think play calling let him get into a rhythm a whole lot, uh, especially – you know, when Mitch doesn't have a great amount of pocket presence either, I think that becomes difficult as well to block. Uh, when there's no running game, it's hard to get a rhythm as far as pass blocking is concerned as well. I don't think this line is designed to go back and pass block 40 times a game. You know, that's just not their mantra. That's just not their their talent buildup. Uh, so I think he's at least a solid left tackle. And you know what, guys? I see in the I see in the comments you think he's a bum. But guess what? We signed him to like a five-year contract, so you're going to get to watch the bum a few more years. I think he's better than that, though, overall. 
All right. And obviously, you know, just looking at the box score here, I know Alden Robinson was very involved in this one with the 71 yards. I know he had that one unsportsmanlike penalty just for chirping a little bit too much after one of the plays. But, I mean, the dude's frustrated. It's the last game of the year. It didn't really end, you know, end the game for the Bears by any means. But I want to know, guys, when you're looking at this Bears receiving core, you have Allen Robinson. He's the one guy that you can hang your head on. I think Anthony Miller shown over the last maybe month and a half to two months that he can be a, a number two, number three. I think this is still a wide receiver room, even though you have Riley Ridley and Javon Wims, that you still have to look into improving this offseason, at least adding some more top-end speed. because, Or maybe it goes back to quarterback play in the offensive How personalized can a financial plan be when it's created by one of those robo-advisors? Plugging in standard algorithm to calculate insurance need and future wealth of random human client. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting to know you always comes first. Together, we'll create a financial plan based on your specific goals. Find a local Farm Bureau advisor at fbfs.com slash protect. It's your future. Let's protect it. I play as well, which could open those up. But any final thoughts on the wide receiver group as, uh, you know, we saw another eh, performance from them. Uh, again, when you're looking at uh, Riley Ridley being the second most productive receiver, three catches for 54 yards, 32 came of which on a wide open uh, route, which someone fell down. Just curious to your thoughts, Nick. So I think it, it would never hurt to add more weapons uh, to your team. But I think this, if looking at the Bears needs for and then things they had to address going into 2020 i would put wide receiver a little bit down on the list i mean i think offensive line quarterback tight end, tight end all those things come before the wide receiver uh position but you're hoping that these younger guys can maybe take a step up because i'm thinking that taylor gabriel's most likely not going to be on this team next season and then you have obviously a riley really who's you know, finally gets his most productive game of the season in the last game here against the Vikings. Hopefully he steps up. But I would agree that adding speed, actual pure speed, is going to be the big thing when you look at the wide receiver position because you can also add in, if we had a capable tight end, that would definitely help the weapons mm-hmm. that Mitch Trubisky or whatever quarterback in 2020 has. But obviously the Bears don't have that right now. So I think if anything, yes, they probably will look to address wide receiver, but it's definitely going to be like a little bit later, whether it's a draft or free agency. It's not going to be their number one need uh, for, for the most part. But I would agree with you that they will probably put bring somebody on because right now if you take out Allen Robinson out of this offense, you're really screwed at the wide receiver position. Let's be completely honest. Yeah, I mean, early on in this game, it seemed like the only receiver that was able to, at least Trubisky was going to, was Allen Robinson. And as great as that can be for Allen Robinson, that's not really <laughs> great for the overall longevity of this offense. Uh, Will, I want to go over to you. Any final thoughts on this offense so you can take this thing anywhere you want? Anything else you want to gripe about? Seems like you've been uh, you know, slaying it right now. Yeah, yeah, a little, little fiery. We won this game, right? Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> for the postgame show for a win. But anyways, uh, for me, I, when it comes going back to the game plan a little bit, you mentioned tight end. I'm really frustrated the tight ends weren't involved more in this game plan. You know, you have an opportunity to try a couple guys out, you know, really show which guys you think could be players on this roster. Because I think Adam Shaheen showed you that he's not worth keeping on the roster come next year. You know, obviously he has a ton of talent, but he can't stay healthy. And when he gets on the field, you know, you think Trubisky kind of runs like a newborn deer. Then there's Adam Shaheen <laughs> making you rethink all of that. Um, so 
So I think Shaheen's kind of out going forward. Trey Burton isn't really a guy you can rely on as a blocker, and you can't even rely on him to stay healthy to this point in his career. But he's going to be back next year. I don't think there's a lot you can do with that contract. So you can just like Leno, whether you like him or not, he's going to be back this coming season. So you're kind of stuck there. But then you have to figure out who you want behind him. And then you have all three guys that showed some sort of, you know, spark at some point. Obviously, Broniker hasn't been in the picture as of recently. But, you know, you got J.P. Holtz and you have Jeff Horstead. Uh, you know, like let those guys show you whether or not they belong here. It's your last chance you're going to get to see them in a pro style, even if they're playing against backups, you know, show us, let them show you what they can do. In a lot of ways, that's the, that's the kind of approach I want them to take with the wide receiver room. You got your top four for the most part. You know, you got Al Robinson, you got Anthony Miller, you got Riley Ridley, and if you have Cordero Patterson to me is your top four. I imagine they take five wide receivers into next season. So, to me, you let the best special teamer, hustler, you mentioned maybe a guy with some speed, usually creates a good special teamer as well. You know, you, you make that last spot something that people are fighting for. And I really think that this today was an opportunity to kind of have that in a pro setting, you know, with real NFL bodies, real NFL speed going at you. You don't have to, you know, ev- uh, evaluate these guys going against, you know, camp bodies and camp practice. It's a real game. But we didn't see it. So that's just another frustrating aspect of lack of talent uh, development, lack of talent evaluation. You know, you mentioned it with bars a little bit earlier as well. You know, why, why aren't guys that we need to look at this coming year? Because we saw the young guys want to play. We saw Montgomery want to play. Deion Bush making a good play on special teams. That dude wants to play. You know, we see a lot of those young guys on defense made some mistakes. But, man, they want to play. So it's – I just don't understand the evaluation standpoint, especially when it comes to tight end, because we know that's a big hole coming forward. We're thinking of spending another second round pick on it for goodness sakes. After we paid a guy 8 million and we sent a second round pick in 2017. If you're spending all these resources, why not spend some time in a lost game in a lost season to figure out what you have on this roster? I'm not saying either JP Holtz or Jeff Horstead is going to be the next, you know, Travis Kelsey or Rob Gronkowski, but figure out whether you got someone serviceable. Uh, that's, that's kind of where I see from the tight end evaluation standpoint and that the, or lack thereof, I guess. So you're telling me one target to a tight end in this entire game was a mistake. <laughs> Correct. Okay. Just wanted to make sure we're all on the same page. So, yes, even though the Bears' offense had multiple scoring drives, I mean, what, four, five? Five scoring drives, only 21 points. I think that's a good microcosm of the Bears' season in a nutshell. Nick, you look like you're ready to move on to the defense, huh? Yeah, I just want to say my bold prediction was correct. They score more than 20, and I said 21, exactly. So I knew exactly where this game was going. It wasn't going to be high scoring regardless. Regardless of how many starters they had out there, the Bears aren't going to move the ball and actually put it in the end zone. I knew it. Nope. They can do one and not the other. And the one is uh, finicky at best. But all right, let's go ahead. Let's call that a wrap in the offense. Let's go ahead and jump into the third quarter of our show and talk about a Bears defense that even though they were going up against a backup offensive line, backup quarterback, backup running backs, uh, they allowed 174 yards on the ground. And, well, I know that uh, Sean Mannion was only 12 of 21 for 126 yards, but there's a big goose egg, and that's in sacks. No sacks for that Bears defensive front today. Uh, let's go to Will first because I'm just curious your thoughts there. I thought, you know, hey, if we're going to have two backup tackles out there, surely Cleo Mack will have some sort of impact in this game. And besides one holding penalty that was called against him, uh, not so much. Yeah, uh, as much as, 
you know, I think the excuse is valid for saying, like, game plans are spent so much about, you know, addressing Khalil Mack. Uh, I think this one was kind of an effort-based one on, on, on Mack's part. There was a few, like, hustle plays and pursuit angles that I thought he was dogging it a little bit on. Uh, and, and especially, you know, when he was asked specifically, you know, in the locker room, he's just like, it's another chance to play football. You know, you never know how many chances you're going to get and stuff along those lines. It's like, well, I didn't see that at, at all today uh, based upon his effort. I think this is most damning on guys like Leonard Floyd, Isaiah Irving, and uh, Aaron Lynch. Guys that, you know, you've invested. I know Isaiah Irving's a little bit more of a long shot, but then guys, but especially for Leonard Floyd, Aaron Lynch, Aaron Lynch is playing for another contract. Certainly didn't see that effort at all. You know, and Leonard Floyd, obviously, you know, you're looking at whether or not you, you pay him going forward. And I didn't really see a whole lot from him. You know, there's a couple plays that, you know, he showed a little bit more hustle. He disrupted a couple things, but man, overall, really disappointing effort from them. You know, I don't think they're interior guys, you know, outside of Akeem Hicks. And I've mentioned this in the three, four, a whole lot. It's hard to get pressures and interior alignment in the three, four. That's why guys like Akeem Hicks and Aaron Donald are so special, but uh, just overall, no push from them. And I think another indictment on, I, I'd say Chuck McGuire, I think overall the defense has played really well. Obviously not a big, uh, not a lot of splash plays. And as stupid as I think Mark Schlereff is as a, as a color commentator, and he said a number of dumb things today. I think my favorite <laughs> was uh, leading, leading with the face mask for the tackle when uh, Kwiatkowski had a tackle for loss. And I was just like, man, you're going to give all these like heads up football people a stroke. <laughs> when do you tackle with your face mask, man? Um, but overall, you know, I just didn't think there was a whole lot of creative blitz packages from Pagano all season long. Uh, overall, even though, you know, scoring defense, they were very good and holding guys to not a lot of points. But, you know, I, I think a part of it's an indictment on Pagano as well. You know, I know that you're going against some backup tackles and backup linemen, but, you know, man, this is a chance for you to see what kind of like, you know, blitz schemes can kind of work out, what kind of stunts work. You know, there was, there was one stunt, I can't remember who it was by. I know you tweeted about it, Nick, and, and now I'm... It was Leonard remember. Floyd and Aaron Lynch. Okay, well, yep. So, but, you know, those guys specifically, you're hoping that those guys aren't the ones that need stunts to get them open in a, in a game that they're playing against backups and guys, like I just mentioned, are playing for contracts. So, so overall, I think it's a really uninspired effort from a lot of the pass rushers and, and partially an uninspired effort from Pagano, though I, I understand a little bit more from Pagano's aspect. Maybe you're just looking to see which guys can make plays out of a base defense, you know, kind of mono mono making plays yourself instead of having plays made for you. But definitely, as far as pass rushers are concerned, very disappointing effort today. Yeah, like I said, no sacks. And if you want to look at the entire defensive front, we only have two tackles for a loss in the entire game, and both came from Nick Wachowski, you know, crashing in from the linebacker position. Uh, so on top of that, and one other issue, there are plenty, if you can't tell, uh, were the Bears' inability to stop any outside runs for the most part of this game. I know that Boone had a 59-yarder to start off this game. Later on in the game, he had another one that was like 41 yards, and the Bears didn't allow a 40-yard or more rush all season long, and they had two in this one. Nick, why so? You know, I think it's just, again, that effort part, and I'm looking at Leonard Floyd. I was really watching him in this game, and of course, I'm going to find and pinpoint the bad plays, but there was one point where just does not contain the edge whatsoever. Just It was very similar to the play last week where 
he's trying to jam Travis Kelsey, and he goes so far and he's engaged so much with the jam that he forgets about his edge responsibilities, and that's where Patrick Mahomes runs for a 15-yard touchdown. Well, it was very similar to where then, again, he just is so concerned about what's happening, goes too far inside, and then completely forgets about his edge that he's supposed to be guarding. And then, again, there's a big run. I think it's a 16-yard run to the outside. So, again, you need to be able to do your job. And Leonard Floyd hasn't been able to do that. I think Kevin Fishbane tweeted something uh, about Leonard Floyd's uh, pass rushing productivity or lack thereof. Uh, it was what? It was, I think, one QB hit since like week one or something like that. Or week, a sack. 12. week 12 was the last QB hit. And then week one was his last sack or something. It was, it's something that you don't want to be a part of if you're no. a pass rushing guy, and especially someone that the Bears moved up to go get. And again, Leonard Floyd did not show me anything that shows that, hey, he's deserving to, for another contract. Uh, he could be the guy opposite of Cleo Mack that can, you know, create mismatches. None of that was shown in this last game or hasn't been shown all season, but I think that was a big part of it today and why you see the Minnesota you know, running backs and especially Boone go for 148 yards, 174 yards on the ground total. It's just, again, maybe some effort, and then individuals just not doing their job. Yeah. I'm curious, Will, to your thoughts. Again, the Bears allowed 174 yards on the ground in this one. To a, I, I'm sorry, we're going to be hitting the backup thing a lot, but backup running backs, backup offensive line. And this is a team that has been holding, you know, it's top 10 in terms of a run defense. Was it just lack of effort in the final week of the season? I mean, I'm really curious to your take. Uh, for me, just I haven't gotten a chance to pour over film or anything like that, but I was seeing a lot of uh, wide open gaps for the most part. So, I think a lot of that, uh, and for people who have listened to me in the past, you know, a 3-4 defense is all about those those three guys eating space and taking up their gaps. And I really think that a lot of guys got washed either in or out, and that created a lot of those wide-open gaps for people to run through. And when you get those wide-open gaps, especially in a 3-4, you're going to really struggle as interior linebackers to kind of cover that space and get out to where those gaps are starting to open up. And even if you get there, especially if a lineman, especially like today, is getting washed out, you know, to a wide uh, to a wide part of the field, even if you get to that gap, that running back still has a lot of space. And you're trying to catch up and get on the same plane as him. And then uh, a lot of times you're going to end up with a two-way go for the running back, and that's really hard to stop as a linebacker who's already playing catch-up uh, to some extent. So, so for me, I think it had a lot to do with the, the guys up front. Uh, Nick mentioned a lot about contained responsibilities, which weren't just bad today, but really the whole season they were they were blown a number of times. Uh, but I think up front is where you see a lot of that, uh, where you see a lot of those struggles. And maybe from the linebacking standpoint, you have uh, maybe you have a few false steps in there and guys getting there a little bit late between uh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis and Nick Kwiatkowski on a few plays. But I saw a lot of wide-open gaps in the linebacker. That's just so hard to get in there and fill that space by the time that the running back gets there uh, because, the, you know, obviously the offense knows where they're going uh, and you're just kind of playing catch up at that point. When you see that wide open gap, you're trying to go fill it, but, you know, he, the running back has a chance to see where you are when he has that wall already set up for him. So he's kind of playing, you know, a couple steps ahead of you and you're just trying to get there in time to eat some space and try to make a play. So that's to me where I see 174 yards on the ground against backups become so possible is when you have those wide open gaps in the running lanes. Right. Now, Will, I want to go right back to you. Any positives outside of Nick Wachowski you can point to today? 
I think Kevin Pierre-Lewis did some good things. Uh, I think, but I think uh, he's definitely worked himself into a backup role. You know, a guy who's kind of been a camp body a couple of years now, you know, really struggled to stay on that starting roster. Uh, I think he did a lot of good things to uh, kind of keep him in that conversation, definitely keep him on, you know, the roster for the coming year. I thought that was pretty good on his part. Um, I thought it was a pretty lackluster effort, like I said, from the guys up front. Nick Williams had a hot streak for part of the season. You know, you really kind of hope to hear his name a few more times, uh, but he really struggled to get any lasting impressions on that end. Um, I like the effort Kevin Tolliver plays with. Uh, I wish we could have seen him a little bit more, uh, mm-hmm. but he did let a few plays get past him today. Uh, he got beat a couple times, especially in one-on-one coverage, and, and it happened twice in a row, really. You know, there was one where the weak penalty was called against AHA Clinton Dix for coming in with the shoulder. I thought that was a pretty poor call, but either way, you got to get back and play football the next play, and, and he did not do that as, he, uh, he's, as uh, the receiver ran right past them again. So, you know, obviously there's some things you're going to have to learn as a young corner in this league. But uh, I thought I liked the effort I saw from him. I don't think I saw enough to where he can be the starter going forward, you know, uh, just without any competition. You know, obviously we have Duke Shelley who showed some things early on. We didn't get to see him late into the year. But, you know, I, I, I'm not comfortable with just letting Prince of Mukamara walk if we don't have a couple guys with some upside and some talent filling into that spot next season. So, obviously, you know, you have, Kyle Fuller, that'll be here for a while. You know, Buster Screen, whether you like him or not, I think he's shown enough good things that he belongs in the system, belongs in this defense. That other cornerback spot, that's where some questions start to rise for me. I like Tolliver, but he hasn't shown me enough during these last few games that I'm confident in him being the only guy going forward. But do you know what, Will? At least they gave him an opportunity to showcase so we have a better understanding heading into next year. Good golly gee willikers, that's a concept right there. Right? <laughs> it's almost like they should have done it on the other side of the football as well. But how about you, Nick, anything else on this defense you want to mention today? Again, no need to really harp too much on anything that we saw uh, throughout these four quarters, but anything else you want to kind of get off your chest here for the final post game? You know, I really wanted Kevin Tolliver to have a good game just so I would have a little bit more confidence. You know, if the bears just don't re-sign Prince Mukamara, at least they, they saw some, some good flashes from Kevin Tolliver, but we didn't really see that. Um, so I agree with Will, like, you know, you need to have some solidified talent guys that you feel confident in to, you know, take that other cornerback spot because, Prince, I know he, he's definitely struggled this season. He definitely has. And he's been going through some injuries. But you need to have somebody that you can at least rely on. And you can't say you can rely on Kevin Tolliver just yet. I mean, he's getting beat by guys that are on, like, the practice squad. So you can't have that. But um, that's just, again, another position that the Bears really have to evaluate because obviously it's a very important one. So a Prince of Mukamara, as bad as he's been this season – he could be the best option. And I know we've been talking about, like, he's most likely going to be gone. Well, the Bears might look at the talent that's available, and there's still a lot of time for us to kind of go through that, and that he might just be the best option. So we'll see what ends up happening. But other than that, I really just like seeing Kevin Pierre-Lewis play football. And I've been saying this for the past mm-hmm. couple of weeks. He's just a guy, regardless of the position, what the score is, um, where, he at, where he's at in you know the depth chart, He's going to give it his all, and you can respect that from guys like him who've just been bouncing off teams. But he's—I think he's made a, home, a you know, a home here in Chicago, or at least just a, a, maybe a one-two-year contract extension as a backup if need be. And Nick Kwiatkowski keeps showing 
now that maybe he could be that guy opposite of Roquan Smith. We'll see what ends up happening because he can't obviously keep everybody, but I like what I've seen from the inside linebackers. There's still question marks at the opposite position of Kyle Fuller, and then you also got to think, put safety into the mix too because HaHa Clinton Dix was on that one-year deal. Didn't really see much of him other than that penalty, but that's still another thing the Bears will be evaluating come 2020. Lots of decisions to be made. We'll definitely get into all of those as we jump into our off-season content here shortly after this week. But guys, let's go ahead and jump into the final quarter of our postgame show. Let's begin with that third phase. I know we already talked about Dion Bush, uh, who I'm giving the assist on that Nick Kwiatkowski safety just due to the heads-up play of downing that ball at the one-yard line. Uh, we saw, of course, on top of that, Nick, your MVB, Eddie Pinero, go 4-for-4 four four on kicks. So let's go ahead and start with the kicking position. Eddie Pinero, I know we have all offseason to debate this, but Nick, he's been pretty you know, good, I would say, over the last month of the year. Uh, he was able to finish with a strong note. Uh, I know, obviously, they probably will look into some other options, but would you be okay as of today if Pinero was our kicker heading into week one of 2020? I think I'd be okay. It's like that very on-the-hinge mm-hmm. okay. Um, he has been making his field goals, but you can still see that this coaching staff – doesn't have maybe the I know they always say they have the full faith in him right that they are 100 percent confident in Eddie Pinero but yet they decide to maybe go for it on a 48 yard field goal where it's maybe in the range of you know uh what Eddie Pinero can make but I would say I'd be okay I don't know if the Bears are fully invested in him yet they're gonna obviously survey the field see who's available but he is your best he unfortunately is your best option at the position what about you, Will? Anything you want to add about Pinero or anything on special teams you want to hit on before we wrap up with the two-minute warning? Um, I'm okay with Pinero coming back next year as the kicker. I'm really done with that thing just being uh, <laughs> a headline, and it shouldn't be because there are so much bigger problems you know, on this team. You know, Teams cycle through kickers every gosh darn year. You know, Dallas has their own problem with kickers this season. But you want to know what you know, people in the media are asking you know, the Dallas Cowboys about? It's about, you know, coaching. It's about, you know, whether their quarterback needs to keep going forward. And, and Dallas is just a place where, you know, controversy breeds. But you want to know what the biggest issue isn't? It's the gosh dang kicker, you know. And I feel like if Matt Nagy, you know, starts talking about bringing other guys in, then this, it becomes another story all over again. Even though Mitchell Trubisky, you know, in the quarterback position and play calling are clearly the biggest issues on this team. I'm really tired of, you know, having kicker being a big storyline when it really isn't. This happens all the gosh darn time. And I know, you know, with how last year ended and with how Parky, you know, just dueled the goalposts every single week, you know, it's, it's yeah, at the end of the day, it's not that big of a storyline. This happens a lot with teams. And nothing else on special teams, right? Just got to verify. Uh, I, Patterson obviously had a really good year. Um, I think a lot of people want Chris Tabor's head on a silver plate just because they want someone's head on a silver plate. You know, <laughs> at the end of the day, I don't think special teams is the reason why, you know, the Bears have the issues that they do. I think they're an average special teams unit for the most part with a few really good players. At the end of the day, I think that's about all you can ask for, you know, if you don't have a Dave Taub on your sideline, you know, draw stuff up for you. I, have, I don't love Tabor, but I don't think he's the problem either. All right, let's go ahead, guys. Two-minute warning, final one of the year. And, Will, Ingles, I'm going to go right back over to you. Uh, you haven't had many of these this season, so uh, let's just knock the rust off real quick. What's going to be your two-minute warning here to wrap up the 2019 season? 
obviously, I mean, today just gives you an idea that there's a lot of decisions to make going forward. You see a few bright spots. Obviously, Nick Kwiatkowski, like I mentioned earlier in the show, is going to give you a lot of things to think about. Kevin Pierre-Lewis, I don't think there's as many questions with him because you can just rely on him as a death piece. With Roquan Smith coming back, uh, cornerback, there's questions. Tight end, there's questions. Offensive line, there's questions. Quarterback, there's questions. You know, there's a lot of question marks on this roster after a 12-4 and season the year prior. You know, and and I think the biggest thing that comes down to is now the ball is in Ryan Pace's court, and now we really uh, people want to call for Ryan Pace's heads for for last season. Well, guess what? There's a sense of urgency now. I think we'll have pretty basically every question we need answered with this team. Uh, basically, by the time uh, you know camp starts again, and uh, you know about the time that you know our season as far as content producing really starts to ramp up again, I think most of the questions will be answered based on the roster decisions that. Ryan Pace can make and I think that's that that was apparent throughout the season but especially today with some of the positions that showed up and didn't show up and the glaring needs that we need around that offense uh even stemming down to play caller as well so I, I think a lot of questions will be answered throughout this long wait during the offseason and you know we'll we'll be here with you every step of the way kind of analyzing every little moves that they do make and the moves that they should make uh you know going down the road. Great stuff there, Will. I'll go ahead and do mine because I know Nick was probably expecting him to go ahead and be the next one up. And I like to just change up the flow a little bit here. Uh, so for me, you know, obviously this was a season that was one that we all really didn't see coming, or at least most of us didn't see coming. It was one that was very disappointing, you know, from a winless October to getting our hopes back up in November, early December, just to watch them get squandered uh, yet again. So it was a very tough season uh, to cover it on the podcast and, of course, watching it as a Bears fan as well as I'm sure everyone listening understands. But, of course, uh, hopefully, like Will said, even though there are a lot of question marks, if Ryan Pace can you know, be aggressive this offseason, uh, make a you know a handful of wise decisions, we can hopefully talk ourselves back into a season in which the Bears can find more success uh, than they did here. And, of course, maybe uh, get back to the playoffs here in 2020. I know there's a lot of work that needs to be done, a lot of questions that need to be answered. And, of course, it was a season here that we didn't want to kind of experience, but we did. Uh, so, of course, ending it on a win's great. I know that it was a game where I found myself more bored than really engaged throughout the most of it, but I did try to find some time to take some stock in it. Not this season. I'm happy this season's behind us, but just Bears football in general. It's one of those where you get to February, March, April, May, and you're really pining for it. So hopefully you're able to kind of do the same. But, yeah, we'll be here all off season long to you know cover it, uh, each and every step of the way, beginning with our state of the franchise, kind of pinpoints what those questions are. And then from there, we'll kind of analyze, you know, how do we address those questions? What are the best answers? And then once the Bears decide the answers for themselves, we'll be breaking those down as well. But I'm excited to jump back into offseason content uh, and play a little bit, uh, you know, uh, what like does, like Madden offseason stuff just to get excited mm-hmm. about it. But Nick, how about you? What's going to be your final two-minute warning of the season? Yeah, so this wasn't obviously the season that we all wanted, but it may just be what the Bears actually needed. Just seeing all the issues that they actually have, these would have been things that would have stopped the Bears moving forward maybe had they taken that next step. Look, obviously you know quarterback is an issue. You know that right guard, probably right tackle, the tackle positions are issues right now. You know you need to address your play calling offensively if you're Matt Nagy if you want to get anywhere closer to actually one, just taking a step up and competing in the NFC North. Two of these teams are in the playoffs starting next week, which should be the goal 
for the Bears every season moving forward. But now this season kind of shows all the adversity that they had to go through. And look, they end up 8-8. Eight and eight. They're not a terrible ter- – they're not the Lions. Let's bring – you know, just a way to bash the Lions in the last kind of postgame <laughs> show here. Um they're not them, and they definitely have issues that they need to address. And it's going to be a fun offseason for us because now we have so much to look into as to where all these holes are at on this current team. But I would say it's fixable. This is still a football team that has a lot of talent. Obviously, it just didn't come to fruition into winning enough football games to really make it meaningful. So we know that this Bears defense is going to probably show up for most games. They need to create more turnovers, obviously, in the future. But the core guys, I think, are there. And then offensively, that's where more of the issues are at. But you have to think that Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, going into 2020, know that they need to get this fixed. Because if they don't, most likely they're not going to be in Chicago anymore. So it'll be fun breaking it down with you guys, kind of evaluating what we have to do moving forward in 2020 to be back to a playoff football team because that's where we all expected this season kind of heading towards, you know, Super Bowl aspirations. They're going to be sitting on the couch while the Super Bowl is happening, just like all of us. But it was, again, a up-and-down season, not what we wanted, but it might just be what the Bears needed. I'll end on that note. I'm actually looking forward to breaking it down and looking at all the Bears' problems and trying to solve them. Nick's actually excited, so I guess I'm I'm actually actually excited excited as well. (laughs) All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Chicago Audible, and just like that, we're going to call it a wrap on the 2019 Chicago Bears. I want to thank everyone for tuning into the show, whether you're watching it on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or if you're amongst the thousands of global listeners to the podcast, we really do appreciate each and every one of you, and if you're thankful for us, uh, make sure to leave your review on our show on Apple Podcasts to help spread the word. Again, we're not a big media entity. We don't have advertising dollars to put behind this to promote us. So word of mouth, if you have fellow Bears friends or maybe some family members that are Bears fans and they haven't heard about us yet, please spread the word as we kind of jump into our off-season content. Uh, we'll be back later on next week to kind of recap Ryan Pace's press conference. That's on Tuesday. And, of course, we'll be having our annual awards show. And from there, like I said, State of the Franchise will follow shortly thereafter. So the Chicago Bears, 2019. Eight and eight. Quite disappointing, wasn't it? Off to 2020, and we'll see you there. And of course, until next time, bear down, Chicago. Bear down.